Hello and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast where we explore human behavior in a business context. Season two of Misbehave is all about uncovering behavioral patterns which create success in life and business. We're joined by highly driven, accomplished individuals to assess their behavioral patterns and dive into how behaviors have influenced their journey. On this episode, we're joined by Will Stewart, founder of what is now the UK's fastest growing brand licensing agency, The Point 1888. From an extensive career in retail buying, including six years at John Lewis, Will has worked with Dream brands including Innocent, Coca-Cola and was pivotal in the launch of Trunky. We explore how meaningful purpose combined with misbehaviour and disruption can skyrocket business growth and brand positioning. Welcome, Will. We are so pleased that you're here to join us today and we're going to kick off with a little opening question just to get things warmed up of what are you most proud of in your very varied and very successful career to date? Yes. Hello, everybody. Thank you. And yeah, thanks for having me. Love the podcast. And it's right up my street. Misbehaving is right up my street. So um, <laughs> what am I most proud of? I think that the team that we have built and the culture that we have built in our business today, because, you know, my big thing is I like to get feedback from clients or you know, retailers or other, other people we work with about the team and the team, you know, always consistently get really great feedback, really considered. And, you know, they're really great people to work with. They really know their stuff. They're honest. They're ambitious. They're passionate. And I think as a, you know, business owner and a, a leader, you know, your job is to, to build that culture and build that team and make them the best people they can be. And then, you know, everyone else outside of that you know, validates whether that is, you know, correct and whether you do have a a great culture and a great team. So, you know, we've collected a group of humans that work together, fun together, you know, we've got meaningful work and it's purpose led and it's amazing. So yeah, probably the proudest thing I've done is to actually, you know, remarkably collect all these amazing people to, to work with us. It's a testament to a lot of your behavioral patterns, which we're going to dig into in a second. You've talked about your team there and creating a culture. Like, how have you managed to build that within your team, Will? What have you done to to do that? Because it's not as easy as it sounds. We know that from the clients we work with. What have you done that you think is is the you know the biggest the biggest lessons learned? You know, like how do, how do we do it? We started a a business. Our business is built on values and and purpose. So first thing I did when I you know, quit, finally quit my job and actually sat there and went, Hey, let's think about how we're going to have a business. You know, purpose was my big thing. And our purpose breaks down into two areas. One is we give 11% of our profits to charity. And the second part is we have uh, something called ultra flexibility, which in 2014 was sort of a new thing. Now it's sort of a, a very hot topic and still not done enough in my view. But anyway, we allow the team to, you know, take full control of how they work. And we have something called a life-work balance, which means life comes first. You know, you have a life and you fit your work around it. So the only way you can deliver that is to offer ultra-flexibility, work whatever hours you want, whenever you want, unlimited holidays. You know, the, the system doesn't work for everyone, but it does work for an you know, incredibly large majority of people because flexibility is still today one of the most important things people want talent wants and it's built on trust task and communication so you have to trust your team one of the big frustrations i had in corporate life is 
you couldn't work from home because obviously the, the system didn't trust you to be working from home. And, you know, when I felt if I'm going to employ someone and I don't trust them, we've made a terrible error before we do anything else. Task or results-based work is really important. You know, we all have things to do, but it doesn't really matter when you do them. Some of my team are night owls, some of them are early birds, and they feel productive at different times of the day. We're humans, we're all different. People like working differently. And then communication, we've got to be able to communicate things. I remember with Bethan, who is now my number two and a phenomenal professional. You know, when I was first recruiting her and trying to drag her into my you know, crazy roller coaster. Yeah, her big thing was her, you know, boy went swimming on a Friday and, you know, she had to be in the office so she couldn't take him swimming when he was three. And there's a limited window. He's not going to go swimming on Friday at three for long. And that was really important to her. And what I was able to offer as an employer is, well, that's great. Do whatever you want. You have to be able to communicate it. You can't just do it and not tell other people you're not available. So there's a confidence thing there. And we've learned that a bit over time where, you know, having the the culture I think that we built is out of our purpose and values. You know, we we use the purpose to make work meaningful and that we are able, if we're really good at marketing, we can, you know, make money and then we will give more money to charity. So that brings that purpose. Ultra flexibility allows us to have a culture where, you know, we're all a tribe, we're all a team. You know, if we can communicate clearly, like I'm going to the gym at, 11 because it's empty and I'm not available, you know, that, that works. Where I think the challenge happens is with some of the younger people in, in business where it's a huge responsibility and sometimes they need to be around people and are they feeling confident enough to say, actually, yeah, I'm going to the gym at 10 and it's okay. You know, it does require a bit of a bit of coaching to work in this way. Yeah, that's really interesting, Will, because I know for us, um, you know, we've got lots of clients that we talk to about driving change within the business and that communication piece and linking it to the behaviours. For some people, if you're high process and high detail, that flexibility can actually cause more confusion than help. And it's actually super, super important. It's about how you then put the infrastructure in place to give people full visibility. So I think, you know, there's a lot of people currently talking about four-day week trials. How is that going to work in a, in an organization? But some of the things that you've just shared there, it's, it's absolutely critical, isn't it? The communication piece, because for some people, high choices like you, 100%, where you want variety and flexibility and go off to do, you know, the all the things that you want to do. For some people, that lack of structure can actually cause quite a lot of anxiety. But if it's structured and, it's, and everybody has visibility in the communication piece, is strong behind it it can actually be a fantastic working environment yeah I think the key is like that piece that you said around life comes first I think that's a great ethos to have and then just put in that piece in that's almost you know if you need more structure than this we can give you more structure and you sort of talked a little bit there about maybe some of the younger people who need permission around some of that and we've definitely had some experiences with our own journey on offering unlimited holidays and having very procedural people sort of come and go well, when you say unlimited, like, what do you mean by unlimited? Like, how many is it? And I'm like, well, the concept it's unlimited. But yeah. they were almost looking for that structure. And I think some of it was permission. It was almost, you know, yes, you say unlimited, but in someone's head who's more procedural and more detail, 
they like the boundaries of that. So when you say unlimited, like if I genuinely take 300 days out of 360 days off, is that okay? Or actually, are you really saying unlimited, but you mean no more than 30? So the communication around it and the understanding of the behavioral patterns mixed in with that's really important. Yeah. And you know, you're spot on. It doesn't work for everyone, ultra flexibility. Like some people just you know, the way we do things, for example, isn't going to work for everyone. You know, and the whole idea of an office space or a place to get together is important for people, you know, just not being at home every day. So we want to offer a place for people to go to work together. And you can do that in a number of ways. You can have an office or you could rent a room once a month like we do where everyone works together. There's lots of ways of of sort of helping build the structure around it. But yeah, it can be it can be challenging. And obviously you know, as the leader of an organization, you have, you know, you build it in the way that it works for you. The unlimited holiday thing is, a, it can be more of a problem than not. And actually, we have a targeted number of days that people have to have to hit. And it's, it's weird, because you could do, I think we got asked that question, can we take 300 days off? And it's like, well, no, so there is a limit, really. But it, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's a gray area. And for me personally, I'm good in grey areas, but that's not right for everyone. And you know, we need to adapt for that sort of thing. And it requires values around it, doesn't it? I think the best example I've ever seen of that, and you know, I think in practice it worked out slightly differently, but the statement that Netflix put out around their culture ethos when they released that initial culture deck a few years ago was any type of flexibility requires people, I think they called it to be fully formed adults and to make adult decisions, you know, and an adult decision wouldn't be, I'm going to take 300 days off and work 60 days and let the work slip. An adult decision would be, you're going to make decisions with equal amounts of responsibility there. So I think that, I think they called it a responsibility culture that they'd created. So I think as long as you've got that and you've got some of that line through with your values around that real purpose behind the business and recruiting in people who would take that responsibility in the right way. Let's let's talk a little bit about what behavior, or maybe for you, we should say misbehavior, do you feel has been most impactful on your journey so far? Well, I like I like change. And, you know, I live by a variety of the spice of life type thing. And so yeah, I I guess this is probably my biggest behavioral i think thing for achievement but probably also my biggest weakness how the how your process works and stuff but yeah i want to change everything all the time and i think as a as a business owner you know you're trying to solve problems so you if you can see problems in everything or ways things could be improved you know it, it can be a bit of a curse sometimes but equally it's you're uncovering opportunities so there's this whole big thing about you know, I like change. I want things to improve. I want things to get better. I also believe, you know, or have the drive and belief that I can fix those problems and I will go after those problems and try and fix them. And in a corporate career, a lot of corps don't really like change in the first place. They don't like people uncovering problems either because it's less problematic, isn't it? So, you know, I was always a would have been seen as a bit of a troublemaker because I was like, well, why don't we do it like this? Or why don't we do it like that? And, you know, I had some really good bosses who just embraced that and went, yeah, all right, go and do it. Most of the time I delivered. So, you know, the whole uh, ask for forgiveness, not permission thing has been something I've lived by. And all of that, you know, whole thing, I feel in my court life was 
you know, me frustrated because it's like, why don't, why wouldn't they do it like this? It just makes sense. But then when you start a business, you know, you, you're on your own. It's your setup. So you can choose exactly how you want it to be. And that continuous improvement, the marginal gains constantly, you know, you must do the same, right? With your decks and your training, you're constantly improving it because, you know, if you're not, then it's, it's getting old and obsolete or it's on that journey. So yeah, variety, change, trying to grab the ball by the horns, as it were. Yeah, Will, tell us some stories because we know you've got some good ones. So you've, you're obviously a bit of a disruptor in our words. Um, you're 89% difference, which means you are probably one of the highest percentages we've ever had on ap- appetite for change. Okay, <laughs> So you just, you've just said there sometimes that can be your biggest strength for sure. And sometimes it can be your Achilles heel. Tell us, have you got any interesting stories you can share with the listeners around where you have maybe wanted to make a difference, problem solve, be a bit of a disruptor? Yeah, I, well, it's just all, it's every day. I think I'm always trying to, <laughs> and I, and that's There's too many. But I think that's also the thing about the greatest weakness. Like it could, it can be tiring trying to work with people like me because, you know, it's constantly changed and, you know, it's difficult, I think, to be around people that are constantly wanting change. So I sort of get that side of things, but, I think if you're making change for the right reasons and getting results, then it can be very inspirational for other people. And, you know, even little things. Like For a while, I was buying men's shoes at John Lewis. And, you know, there was controls and restrictions around how adjacencies work. So in retail, it's like which products are going to sit next to each other and different buyers buy different products. So there was another buyer that bought the shoe care items, so how to polish your shoes and sole, inner soles, all those sorts of things. And I bought the shoes. And I just felt we would sell a lot more shoe polish, which wasn't even my department. I wasn't doing it because I wanted to make more sales. Like That stuff is only going to sell if it's next to the shoes because people, they're going to spend a load of money on shoes. And men's shoes are expensive, a lot of them. So they're more of a considered purchase. And, you know, I said why don't we just put the shoe care in the shoe men's shoe department? And everyone said, no, you can't, different department, different adjacency. And it's like, no. Shock horror. I mean, well, I, it seems simple, but, you know, big retailers are complicated. So they was, <laughs> it was on a different floor and, you know, it's like they're not selling any. And then I was like, well, I'll just buy it in my department. No, you can't do that because you buy shoes, et cetera, et cetera. So we had a Gazette, which was a, ma- a company magazine. I think they still do it, John Lewis. And, their customer letters so I got so bored of asking questions and then I thought right I'm just going to write a letter from a customer saying oh I tried to get my shoes wanted to get my shoe polished couldn't get it blah 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 now this these letters were really important they went to the chairman at the time so then they would get passed down so this went all the way to the chairman then came all the way down the chain to me and my boss and she was smiling she knew what I'd done but she said oh we've got this customer letter and it's you never guess what, someone asking that, you know, they couldn't get the shoe care in the shoe department. And I said, oh, wow, okay, that's amazing. And he said, so we're going to actually be able to put the shoe care in the shoe department. And we did put it in there and we sold loads more shoe polish. So, yeah, it was, but, you know, it was all about, you know, for me, it was, it was an obvious, I mean, you you know, as soon as I mentioned it, you were like, well, that doesn't make sense. And like, no, of course it doesn't. But historically, well, it's always been in different dissections or departments. So that's how it's done. And I don't like to accept that's how it's always been done. I think there's a better way. I don't mind 
you know, getting things wrong or making mistakes. So, like, if I come up with something, luckily I've got a good team because often they'll warn me if it's a stupid idea. But if you did that and it bombed, it didn't work, then, okay, we can move it back. But at least we've learned something. Whereas if we don't ever make any change, we're never going to learn anything. We're never going to move forward. You've talked about purpose and how much that drives you. And I think it's an interesting concept that, you know, lots of people are talking about how to make their businesses fail. It's almost like this has become the new culture thing. When we first started our business, some people knew what culture meant, some people didn't. And then it kind of became this cool thing to do. And I think now... That's happened a little bit with purpose, that people are, the cool thing to do is to have a purpose statement and to be more purposeful. But some of it, I think people find challenging and actually question the authenticity with some organisations. Tell us a little bit about what purpose means to you. You know, you've talked about some of the initiatives that tell us a little bit about the charity piece. You've talked to to us about the ultra flexibility piece. But what does being purposeful mean to you in your business? Thank you very much. I have a a podcast all about purpose. So, yeah, this is uh, good luck, everyone, because this could take hours. (laughs) Well, look, our purpose at the business is ultra flexibility and giving 11% of of our profits to charity. That's that is our purpose. We have like a, you know, mission statement and goals and values and a lot of the things that other businesses have. And what are we trying to do in terms of you know, making our work, purpose makes the work more meaningful. So, you know, businesses need to make profit, they need to make money. And I think the majority of businesses historically and capitalism and everything else is all about making as much money as possible. And that being its number one priority, a business in its articles of association should make profit for its shareholders, you know. And I'm not saying money is the root of all evil and making money isn't bad, but I think businesses that are solely focused on, you know, just making money rather than, you know, trying to make the world a better place or make it better for the people that are here, that makes the work meaningful. It makes everyone that comes to work feel like they are making a positive difference. And if you break it down into most people you know or meet, are they purposeful people? If you know, would they help someone, you know, the whole be kind thing, you know, it's applying those sorts of human principles into your, into your work day. So if you saw someone drop their shopping, would you go and help them? Yes, you would. Most people would, um, unless you're really busy or you've got kids and you're trying to, but you know, the majority of people would go and help them. And both people gain out of that. The, the person that's being helped will think, oh, I had a really tough time and I was helped. But you as a person, if you help someone else, you feel good, you will feel better, and you will feel happier, and they will feel happier. So you know, does purpose make you happy? And we're all striving for happiness. Yes, it does. In a work environment, you know, does your business have purpose? Is it trying to make the world a better place? So you could say around recycling, sustainability, those sorts of themes. Yes, you know, we're all trying to do that, and they they become you know, hopefully run-of-the-mill things as businesses move move forward. Um, but does it have a purpose? Does it have a cause that you are trying to highlight or, or you know, make a difference around? We've just run a huge campaign with Tourette's Action via Story 1888, one of our businesses. And, you know, the campaign was all about growing awareness of what Tourette's is because it's not just people that shout and swear. It's a huge, huge problem for a huge number of people. 
and there's very little understanding. So the purpose of that campaign is is a to to drive awareness and understanding and how to operate if you work with someone who has Tourette's. But that then made our business more purposeful because we were using our marketing skills to help a charity. If we were working with a designer brand, so someone that's you know created beautiful designs and we were able to put that onto T-shirts or stationery, sell that in Tesco, you know, that's going to generate money for the brand owner, for the guys making the T-shirts, for the retailer selling the T-shirts. If we can donate a proportion of the money that is made out of that deal, that piece of business to, you know, a charity that supports, you know, kids, you know, from certain backgrounds to get into a design career or gives them an opportunity to start drawing or provide pens, papers, etc. to schools. That is making a, a positive contribution to something that is very emotionally related to this designer. So you can build this really nice community feel that's very meaningful and very purpose-led just through doing a, you know, a partnership between a t-shirt company and a designer. Um, and that's then becomes, you know, the purpose is the, you know, the sprinkles on the, on the cherry on the icing on the cake, right? It's the, the thing that will bind everything together. And the reason it's so important is because, you know, to future proof your business, purpose needs to be at its core. It needs to be central to what you're doing. And the reason is, you know, Gen Z's now already coming into the workplace see purpose, doing something meaningful and doing something that they believe is improving the planet or the world or the people in it. They see that as equally, you know, as important as, as you know, other things on the, on the uh, customer decision tree when they're making purchase decisions. Gen Alphas, the, you know, the, the, the 10 year olds that are going to be working in, you know, eight years time. You know, there's a lot of stuff you can read where they will choose purpose over price and they would rather not buy something if it's doing something, you know, bad to the planet. And the, the opportunity they have is all the information, whether you're a goodie or a baddie, doing good things or just saying you're doing good things or just doing bad things. All that information is in their phone, in their pocket. They can instantly find out whether you are a good business or a bad business, whether you are genuine or not. And once they have the power of that information and they have then the behavioral decision tree to say, well, actually, I'm going to choose the more purposeful option rather than the cheaper option, then, you know, then the, I guess, breakthrough comes where every business needs to build purpose to its core and see itself as a positive contribution to the economy and society and community. We're seeing that even with recruitment decisions you know people are now wanting they're looking for that in not just in their purchasing decisions but also where they go to work who they want to work for we've seen a big change in um post-covid like purpose has really been connected to people and i think you know yeah you, you, the younger generation's coming through but even people are now moving from one company to another not because of salary but because of of the connection to a company's purpose and and what they stand for. And I think that's such a, it's a big shift and it's happened quickly. We've definitely seen it with the clients we work with. And we talk a lot about subconscious and conscious. And I think we're massive around helping people lead more purposeful lives, but be more consciously uh, connected to the decisions they're making and, and the things they're doing instead of sleepwalking through their lives, right? You know, some of that stuff that you've just described there really strikes a chord with certainly the way we run our business and and also the people we work with, yeah. people we want to spend time with. 
And that behavioral piece, I mean, you know, the the wider purpose piece that you talked about there, I think is such a thought provoking thing for business leaders to think about, right? You know, what what purpose drives your business in addition to, you know, the things that you're setting out to do for clients? What's the bigger purpose? And then we talk about it from a, I guess, a more granular individual level around one of the reasons that we do behavioral work with people is to help them understand more about the behaviors that drive them so that they can act more purposefully. You know, they can go into things where, you know, you're going into a meeting and you actually purposefully ask yourself, before that meeting, what's the person that I want to be in this meeting? What do I want to contribute? What's my purpose for being there? So that you don't just sleepwalk in there and sit as an inactive participant or go in and overprove yourself, but actually that you're the day-to-day things that you're doing with your business, with your team, have purpose and meaning behind them. And like Sarah said, you're not doing that that sleepwalking. So there's massive synergy I see between kind of what you guys do and where we're at. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, really getting underneath the behaviors. It's really complicated and difficult. If you Google purpose, my God, you've got no hope. You know, so your behavioral work is actually spot on for this because, you know, if you ask someone you meet in the pub, you know, what's your purpose in life, right? It's a nightmare question. You need to prep things. You need to think about it. What you're doing is giving them a tool to understand behavioral, you know, traits they have. And then also then reminding them to think, you know, what is the, what's the purpose of this meeting? What's the purpose of me being at this meeting? What am I doing with my time? Is there no, you know, can I make this more meaningful thing? Which I think would be hugely valuable to particularly younger people coming into a more, you know, a, a world where you've got pur- these words, purpose and culture banging around at the same time as, you know, your purpose and culture isn't going to be contained in an office. It's got to be something more. It's more sort of, cloud format rather than office format yeah wicked love it love what love what you're doing it's a pay, pay forward i know I, I love that idea of like you're doing something good in it and then being paid forward or you're doing something good and you inspire other people to do something good it's so infectious yeah who inspires you will what you know, what are the kind of people? Is there anybody that you could you could pinpoint to say and these have been really instrumental in some of the decisions you've made in your life? There's loads of people who at times I go, I find really inspirational, or you describe them as heroes or, you know, and I think in business, particularly, you've got people, you know, the first business books I ever read were Richard Branson's, like a lot of people, and I loved his disruptive ways. You could say, well, he's influenced you to do things. And one of the things we didn't want to do was start a company, we want to start a brand. And that's a virgin thing, right? The guys at Innocent, Richard Reed, who I met eventually because I got drunk at an auction and overbid for time then so I could go and pitch my business to it. Misbehaving again. <laughs> yeah, massively. <laughs> massively. But it was that was a huge thing actually to meet him because I'd read his book and you know, they are a purposeful business in a different industry and I wanted to be them. They were all, you know, my favorite brand, still are drinking drink innocent every day. And this was a guy, their story is amazing and you know, the reason we give 11% of our profits to charity is because they gave 10 and I wanted to build on what they were doing. Meeting with your read was, was huge. So you have these sort of business people, Bartlett, you know, in our world, of course, he's going to be someone that, you know, I admire hugely. And I went to his, uh, his tour and I met him, paid for the meet the guy, you know, it was a, a huge sort of fanboy moment because these are people that are, I would say, driving the right behaviors and, and telling the right yeah. stories. 
But, you know, again, when you look at your, you know, who inspires you, you can look at people close to home. It's, it's all different things. So, you know, your family, your parents obviously give you a huge, you know, I had an amazing childhood. I was very lucky. So they give you a huge inspiration of what you do. My dad, you know, ran a fourth generation company business. So my dad massively influenced my desire to run my own business. And then it's the people that I work with, you know, my leadership team particularly, they say hire people that are better than you, right? And all of them are better than me at all of their disciplines. And it's why we're able to now use this leadership team to launch new companies in new markets because they are all incredibly talented and, and very inspirational to me. So, you know, my job, I think, is to understand them, be an empathetic leader and, and push them to move from good to great and you know, make them believe in themselves because I think lots of people, everyone needs a sort of coach and someone that's going to, you know, back them. You know, we have tribe as one of our brand values and it used to be family and families get a bit weird, don't they, over time, especially when you get bigger. It's like, what kind of weird family is this? Um, but, you <laughs> know, dysfunctional family. Yeah, dysfunctional, <laughs> weird family with 20 people in it. But the idea of tribe is you've got each other's backs and, you know, Hannah, one of my team describes as, you know, look, you're going into the fire, but I'm standing behind you with a hose. And I think that's a lovely summary of how we do things here, which is, you know, you've, you've got each other's backs, right? So I find the team really, really inspirational because they keep doing things that I know I couldn't do. But then, and so then you question yourself, well, what's my value? You know, I'm not helping these people. And then when I challenge them on that, they go, no, but you are, you know, just, you know, giving us your feedback and time and your know, opinions on things helps us feel the confidence to go out and deliver these incredible things. Love that. And I think what you said there around recruiting people that are better than you in their own discipline is such an interesting and important way to look at it because I think sometimes entrepreneurs you know, there's sometimes a, a slight ego that comes with running a business and being an entrepreneur. And I've heard a lot of people not resonate with that whole thing of like recruit people that are better than you. And you're, But what we're not saying is recruit someone that's better at, than you at all the things you're good at, because actually you do that. And those are your behavioral strengths, but actually recruiting people who fill the gaps that you've got and are better at you than that. I mean, we've got in our team people who are way better than us at certain things. And I think that's it's remembering to look at it that way because I think sometimes that statement's thrown out there and people almost reject it without really understanding what it means underneath. I'm conscious that we've talked a lot about being purposeful. Being purposeful often requires reflection. And two of your dominant patterns don't make you very reflective. Well, actually, most of your patterns don't make you very reflective at all. So what have you learned about being reflective purposefully so that you can think more clearly around being purposeful? That's, yeah, wow, that's quite a question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I also, just uh, as an aside, like it's fascinating the way you do this podcast because obviously I don't get a report that I can prep beforehand and go oh this is what the thing is <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's fascinating because obviously there's the questionnaire and then you get an idea of the person and then you direct the questions to make it it's a learning experience this um so I'm not very reflective is that what my dominant thing is um, pretty much yeah. yeah and I guess that's you know comes back to what we were saying earlier about just get on and do things and change the thing 
And it's something that, you know, as you get older, you become more aware of your strengths and weaknesses. Same with the recruitment thing or partnership. You know, be aware of what you're good and bad at and then find someone who's really good at the things you're bad at and partner with them, either a business or, you know, hire someone like that. I have to work really, really hard on, you know, that reflection, that thinking time and certainly trading through the last three years of, of horrors. You know, I even... You know, and I'm well aware that, you know, think I massively value thinking time. You know, I try to write, I try to read, I try to listen to podcasts, I try to slow my brain down. And it's a conscious thing I have to do. You know, I try to, you know, consciously um, make sure I'm making time for the team, right? I have to almost write it in, you know, my diary and block it out because otherwise I'll just lose it. And weirdly, if I don't do it, I end up not... I was going to say going a bit do lally, but you know you just run out of steam. You know you've got to know your limitations, know your boundaries, understand um, how you you know what the things you need to do for your own mental health and for your for your teams. So one of my big things that I got into a few years ago is meditation, and I find it invaluable to me because it forces you to slow your brain down and reflect and think right you know i have to book that in otherwise i just charge around i've got young family as well so you never ever get the time so yeah i'm glad the report said it and well i think i'm managing it quite well because i'm forcing it otherwise i'd be probably who knows you're literally you know you're literally talking to two people who have to do the same thing well so you're in good company yeah here. i mean i kind of looked at your map and i was like is that my map <laughs> <laughs> definitely the scheduling of time for like myself and laura does the same it's like we put in time for in the diary and everybody has visibility of it so that you know it, it links back to that flexible working thing but also just to create the space because it just gets filled you feel guilty putting thinking time in your diary Mm-mm. did you Not use anymore. to yeah yeah do you know another thing i do i um which really helped me actually is i always have my tea or coffee breaks in the garden when i can even in if it's uh, pouring with rain i will i've got big 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 coats right so i go out if it's freezing or if it's lovely and sunny but what i used to do is i'd be on a yeah, meeting and i think zoom calls video calls and that sort of things where there's so much business to be done in such a short period of time you know you run from one meeting get the coffee on run to the next one but now I always have my coffee breaks outside and A, you're in nature, which I think is really good. But B, if you don't take your phone with you, there's nothing you can do and you're going to drink the coffee and that will take you five, ten minutes. So, you know, those micro breaks away from everything has been really helpful for me as well. There's so much stimuli and when you think about it. Even I was listening to something the other week and we were talking about, you know, if you think about even when you go for a coffee now, you stand in the queue and you look around the coffee shop. People don't stop and talk to each other like they used to or make conversation. They're on their phones. You grab your phone habitually and even in a queue for a supermarket, you know, for to buy a coffee or your lunch. And it's it goes back to that being more conscious about what you're doing and how much time you're actually giving your brain to switch off. Mm-hmm. Even looking around a coffee shop is a stimuli. So it's like you've got to put the time and effort in. And definitely, you know, for for us, we we practice what we talk about well, so we have to do it. It's almost like that discipline and we've built it up over the years because when you have similar patterns to to what we have, like that speed, that pace, 
you can achieve an awful lot if you're focused, but it does mean that you do need the recoup time on the other side to be able to just be still. And that's actually quite difficult for a lot of people, particularly with entrepreneurial traits. And really what you're talking about there is just is understanding your dominant behaviors, right? And knowing that you will work best within in line with those traits but it doesn't mean that you're never required or should never do the opposite that's the big piece there's a guy that I know really well we um I don't know if you've heard of it we use the traction model in our business um and there's a a system that is more well known in the U.S. called EOS the entrepreneurial operating system we use it in our business and one of the guys who was kind of one of the the first facilitators of that in the US, I've done quite a lot of work with him and he has very similar patterns. He's high initiation, he's high choices, he moves at speed. And he books in with his business partner two focus days a year. And in that focus day, they go and literally climb a mountain. They have no tech and they just talk. They talk about their business and they take these little small notebooks and they make notes when when they're thinking through stuff. But they literally, they call them a focus day and, and it's outside of everything. And, and he talks about how game changing that is as a business owner or an entrepreneur to give yourself space to think. Because sometimes there's just so much noise that actually true innovation and change, and obviously that's a big piece for you, doesn't happen in the noise. It happens in the quiet, but you've got to be really purposeful about building that in. On that note, that takes us nicely into, you have disrupted the brand licensing model with your business. And in actually quite an industry where, you know, a lot of retail is is quite traditional you know you kind of talked about especially when it's in in a corporate environment some of the big retailers that have been around for years that change moves at a slower pace that obviously layers in with your big difference change pattern but there's also a big people piece in there for you and that that pulls through some of your other patterns talk us through the thought process behind changing that licensing model and really what you've done with the new model and the partnerships that you've built yeah. So, well, the people thing, you know, we are, you know, a brand licensing agency or our original business. So it's all about people and people do business with people. So, you know, we're a relationships business in a relationships industry. So being the best, nicest people in the world is going to help you to build, a, a, you know, a USP, I guess, in our space. So, you know, we being purpose and values based, we are very open, honest, all those sorts of things. And I think, you know, the, the salesy side of, of doing deals and doing licensing, you know, we're just doing it in a, you know, a slightly softer, more partnershipy kind of a way. So it's, you know, we're trying to build a partnership between a brand and a retailer or a brand and a manufacturer. You know, we want to have those open, honest conversations. And I think historically, um, that wasn't always happening in our industry. It was more about just trying to sign deals and get big advance payments. So we had a, you know, sort of very people focused and the people that join us are very people focused and then everyone likes those people. So you're more likely to get a conversation going. So that's the sort of door opener, I guess, in that you've got people that people like, know, trust, respect, those sorts of things. And then we had a technical USP. So traditionally in our world, an agency would work with a brand owner, agree to you know extend their brand or license their brand to manufacturers. And then they would just leave the manufacturers to sell to the retailers. So 
it was a high-risk model. Brand licensing is high-risk because you can damage your reputation um, if you do the wrong thing or the product ends up in the wrong space or the product isn't high enough quality, for example. What we did, because of my background in retail buying, we just went straight to the retailer. So we sort of reversed the process, went to the retailer, said, hey, you've got a problem here. You've either got a consumer you're missing, a trend you're missing, or a piece of insight that you're missing, or your competitor's doing really well with X. We can solve your problem for you doing brand licensing. So we would then move back to a brand and say, hey, do you want to work with this retailer? You know, you know where it's going to be. You know what a retailer would do with your brand. And then we went to a manufacturer last to fulfill the demand that we've created. So our model was to basically align ourselves with demand, not supply, because there's millions of brands that could do this thing. We were just with the guys that were going to choose the, the decisions. And you know, that model's worked incredibly well for us and enabled us to win you know, bigger clients over bigger agents because it's de-risking it for everyone in the chain. And a lot of licensing deals fail. You know, we do a lot less deals than other people, but we're trying to build long-term sustainable revenue streams on the deals that we do. So being really nice and open and honest, plus having a, a technical USP, those things combined have enabled us to grow very quickly. So, yeah, that's roughly how it works. It's like a win-win-win, isn't it? You know, yes. and a, and a, Yeah, and I think often people with your patterns, you've got high affiliation and high external. And what that means, Will, is, is that you're very people-motivated. And sometimes the balance between being commercially minded and you know still got to do the sales bit but for it to be linked with people you know it's something that is sometimes that it's tricky to to navigate to get that right because you want the business but you want the right kind of business for the right kind of people and you want it to be a win for everybody and I think you know that's a we talk a lot about win-win when we're doing behavioral work and interactions and relationship building and connection because Sometimes it's not, if it's just a win for like, for example, the retailer and it's not a win for the person selling the product, like they're, they're not going to stay with you very long because the profit margins are going to be too low okay. or it's not going to work for them. So for, you know, for us, we often talk about that, that, that it's got to, and you've got to be okay with saying that you've got to be open with it. Yeah. Like if it doesn't work for both of us, it's not a partnership. Yeah. It's a, it, you know, it's not, it's, it's the temporary transaction, isn't it? Yeah. At that point. Yeah. And I, sure. I think you're spot on about being brave. Saying that, you know, talking in that way, you know, you're either, you know, completely uh, a liar or, you know, you're you're someone that's so confident in how you do your business. It's so truthful. It's so authentic that you're able to say it. You know, I want you to do well out of this. You know, the whole point is we're trying to create something. It's a two plus two equals five. That's what partnership is. We've all got to win. Otherwise, it's a fail, right? And you're spot on there. If the retailer's... And, you know, as a retail buyer, you negotiate the prices and you get all these directives from the top where we've got to get an extra 2%, 3%, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, there's not a lot of margin in supply chains. There's tiny margins in retail, but there's not a lot of margin in supply chains either. If you negotiate a really good deal and get loads more percent off your supplier, you're doing a good job in retail. Well done, you. But actually, if that means your supplier now isn't actually making profit to cover its own costs, they're going to die or they're going to just move and leave. So actually, it's a terrible piece of work. Trying to get that balance right between the people thing is all about being brave and, and you know, going open costings or, or talking with people about how do we make this work? How can everyone be happy? But again, that's that's really rare. And, you know, there's, an, you know, 
nice nice humans finish last and there's a lot of people that are you know would use you know that sort of comment against you in terms of oh well okay you know this person's a bit weak or a bit like oh everyone's got to win or whatever therefore i can drive home my advantage and take all the money off the table and you know ultimately you don't want to work with people like that and you have the privilege because you run a business now so you can choose hopefully you can choose not always the way but you know unfortunately you know like being kind being open being honest they're massive strength massive strength but a lot of the bad people would see them as weaknesses they can exploit and honestly we could just talk about this topic with you all day long it so resonates with with our thinking Let's ask a little wrap-up question. What has been your favourite, or you might choose multiple favourites, throughout your career, either a buying experience, a brand partnership? What's what's up there for you from some of the brands that you've worked with? I, yeah, I love I love products. I love brands. I love retail. So you know, anything in that sphere is really good. One thing I do genuinely love that I was involved in, which was the trunky that was on Dragon's Den. Because he's amazing, Rob. And, you know, I used to watch Dragon's Den back at them. And this is, I don't know, 15 years ago, 18 years ago. God. Yeah. He was on Dragon's Den. You know, I was a buyer of luggage at John Lewis at the time. So, you know, we were the biggest luggage retailer. There's a guy on there selling his heart out, gets absolutely. I mean, Theo just pulls the strap and it, yeah, breaks off. And Peter said to him, I could have this tooled up in China in, in two days and have it in the market. You've got nothing. They gave him a really hard time. And I was looking at going, yeah, but you retool the thing, just a slightly higher grade of, of plastic. And actually, I, you know, there wasn't really much going on in children's luggage, you know. So I was like, right, I'm going to track this guy down. And I did track him down. And he was wicked. And, you know, he didn't get an investment. And I explained who we were. He came in, left me a sample. And I remember towing his little pink, it was Trixie, was the first one. Now they do licensing, everything. We worked with them on Gruffalo, actually, in my old dog. Yeah, my daughter's got the tiger one. Yeah, it's wicked. Um, and actually, the fire engine one is called Freddy, which he let me name, which was after one of my godsons. Amazing. But, yeah, we um, and he did some filming from anyway. I, this, this luggage thing, and I used to, my boss was not a fan. He was like, this is never going to work. It was this little pink pull-along you know, suitcase. Nothing was done like that at the time. There's loads now. But I used to pull it around the offices at John Lewis, take it to all my trade shows and everything until he let me buy it. And then we bought it and we sold about 14,500 pieces that first year, which wow. was massive. So we were his first proper big customer. And he's a really decent, purposeful guy making a difference. And he's gone on to have this incredible business. He promotes British manufacturing, bought a load back. And it's one of those things that I will, whenever I see one, I will always think, oh, well, I made a difference on that. And uh, so, yeah, that one, I think. What an amazing story. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We have really enjoyed this and so much synergy with, you know, with our ethos and things. So thank you for taking the time to join us. Well, uh, yeah, look, thank you for having me. I sort of feel like we should know each other and have a meeting or something to talk more because it's always a you know, it's a real privilege to be invited on. And I, as soon as I heard the name, I think I said this before, it's like Miss Paper. This is so me. So the fact that you're doing, you know, you're, but it's not just, you know, fun, is it? There's a real science behind what you're doing. And I think that's amazing. So thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, let's have a, let's have a meeting. For sure. Would love to. Thank you, Will. Thanks. 
So let's wrap up with some top tips from the episode with Will. The first and most pivotal from this episode has to be around finding your purpose. So if you run a business or a leader in a business, we want you to think about the answer to two questions. What is your bigger purpose as a business than just business growth? Do you have a wider purpose that people in your business can buy into to make their work more meaningful? And secondly, how purposeful are you in your day-to-day activities and when you're doing them, thinking about the impact that you want to make? The other thing that Will talked about was this whole thought process around, in their culture, life coming first and this piece around ultra-flexibility. We hear lots of businesses talk about the fact that it's really difficult to create fully flexible environments. And really the the tip with this is that to start to think about what that could look like for your organisation. The work environment and landscape is changing. The future generations coming into the workforce are going to be looking for that. And Will really nicely demonstrated that they use three pillars to their ultra flexibility of trust, task and communication. It will obviously be different for your business, but thinking through what flexibility could look like for you, how you could support your employees in life coming first will be pivotal moving forward. The last one and the big piece for Will is around disruption and misbehaviour that actually he described that as Yes, looking for ways things can be better and driving change in your business so that you can serve people better. But that actually being a disruptor is about being brave. It's about doing things that maybe step outside of the norm, but that actually it's the bravery to stand up and say, you know what, this can be done better. They're doing that with what they do within their brand licensing model. So it'd be interesting for you to think through where you're disrupting things in your business, but specifically from a perspective of where could you be braver in serving the people, the audiences, your team, your customers better. Thank you for listening to Misbehave. Follow us so you don't miss out on other episodes. 